everyone. Welcome to Western Reaches episode 22. I'm Megan Krause. I'm here with my co-host Saf to talk about all the books, games, and other geeky things we've been experiencing in the past couple weeks. Saf, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, but it's really damn hot here. I'm sorry. We had snow this morning. I'm a little bit jealous, honestly. (laughs) It was kind of nice, actually. We had a good solid, like, seven hours of snow or something but it didn't drop enough that it was annoying and all over the roads so that was uh, that was positive so it was just pretty but not frustrating yes exactly i'm definitely jealous now so this week our main topic is a topic very close to my heart we're going to be talking about grass the novel by sherry tepper which is a very unappreciated science fiction novel, I think. It's been in conversation more often lately because uh, Sherry Tepper passed away not long ago. But this one is one that I definitely think should be on more lists of classics, and it isn't. Um, I read it a long time ago. I read it like once in high school and once in college and then sort of sped read it again in preparation for this. But Saf read it for the first time, so we're going to have a good talk about that. I'm very excited. Yes. it's. Uh, I think it checks a lot of the boxes of things that we're both interested in, right? In terms of like female-led science fiction with weird aliens in it. Yeah, I'd say so. So before we get into that or into our topics, I wanted to do another quick shout out to the Drowning in Moonlight Gala. This is uh, run by the Tashi Station Network and the Star Wars Podcast Alliance. Did I say it right this time? Yes, I think so. Okay. (laughs) Um, And we mentioned it last time. I don't think we're going to mention it on every show from now until April, but every once in a while we might talk about it. Um, It's a charity gala in support of Midnight Mission and will be held on Thursday, April 13th at the Rosen Center Hotel which is right near um, where Celebration Orlando will be held. So if you're a Star Wars fan, if you want to come down and um, sort of be involved in this charity that Carrie Fisher was also involved in, we're going, it's sort of a a dress up or dress up. So cosplay or black tie. We're going to have a lot of podcasters, a charity auction. It's going to be sort of an irreverent effort to you know, put some money toward a cause that Carrie Fisher really believed in. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good night. Yeah, it should be, should be good. Um, so I traveled between this episode and the last episode and finished two books on a plane, which is always an amusing experience. Um, there's very few books that can get me to stop looking out the window of a plane but these managed (laughs) um yeah yeah i'm the same did you have that too where it's it's kind of surprising when something's that that distracting yeah because i love i love planes and i love looking out the window of the plane and whenever i actually get a book that makes me stop focusing on the fact i'm in a plane it's i think the last book that did that for me was twilight company (laughs) yeah exactly it's like Congratulations, this story has managed to be more interesting than humans overcoming gravity. Like, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> um, 
That that might have been a record the amount of time it took for us to mention Twilight Company, by the way. Like, we're not even yeah. trying. <laughs> we're really not. It just happens. <laughs> <laughs> so the the book that I read this uh, on this trip that really did that was Nine Fox Gambit by Yoon Ha Lee. And I had seen it on a couple best of lists and never picked it up. And then it was for whatever reason, I don't even know why I did it this time as opposed to any other time. It was on a list and I went, oh, I'll see if they have that at the library. And they did. So I, I read that and the apparently, so Yoon Ha Lee is known as a short story writer. As far as I know, I've never read any of his other books, but that's what I've been told. Um, and I've also heard that this was very much inspired by or in the same vein as Ancillary Justice. And I think both of those things are very evident in it. Because um, after I read the first couple pages, I was just like, this is the best science fiction short story I have ever read. Like, just <laughs> the, the wording is amazing. It's this military sci-fi story in this odd universe where characters have or, or fleets, I suppose, have different powers based on calendrical mathematics. So like what day of the week it is and what time it is depends on what powers they can have. And it's very much based on video game type mechanics. So they'll say, oh, that's an exotic effect or something, or, you know, it, the effect has a duration of a certain time. And it's just like, <laughs> it's exactly the kind of language you'd find in a video game. And it's beautifully written. Um, and just the names of all the powers are really cool. And the way the characters are described is really cool. And it's just, it's uh, wonderful. Um, so I was already in love in the first two pages just with the wording of this and the actual plot is that there's a, a soldier called Kel Cheris who is assigned to sort of host the ghost of a deceased general in order to put down a rebellion and the rebels have started this strange concept called democracy which cannot be allowed so Cheris and the, the ghost of Shuos Jidao which that's the first time I've ever pronounced that, so no guarantees that it's correct, <laughs> um, are sent to put down this rebellion. And the interaction between those two characters is sort of the core of this. And Cheris is just sort of this... Um, she was a, a lieutenant, and, and she's been moved to a position of power, so she sort of feels like she's got... Um, she feels like she isn't quite meant to be where she is, and she's uncomfortable with people calling her general. But she's also really smart, and she's a really good mathematician, which is important to the the science in this. And then Jidao is known for, like, murdering two armies, his own and the enemy, and being put in, like, ghost stasis as punishment. So he's brilliant, but he's known as a traitor and a murderer and you sort of have to figure out what he's up to because scheming is central to his character and you're never quite sure what side he's on and um I just this like book kind of seemed like it was made for me it, the aesthetic was just wonderful of, of science fiction ghosts and it had sort of very similar things to 
the Imperial Ratch down <laughs> to the fact that they all wore gloves in combat. And I really like that about it. The thing that it kind of suffered when it came to the world building because these fantastical calendrical effects were wonderfully written and sometimes very frightening, but they didn't make much sense. Like you, <laughs> despite the fact that it was all about sort of plotting, you never learned the names of the months. You never learned how they worked. It was all a bit hand waved. So I would have liked more of that, but mostly I was too dazzled to mind. See, I swear, like, three of my really good friends just started reading that book at the exact same time. Because you were tweeting about it, and then a couple of my other friends started tweeting about it. And I was like, you know what, I need to get in on this, because everyone's reading it, and it sounds really cool. Um, <laughs> I just I just got it out from the library right before this podcast, and I'm really excited to start it. But it sounds so cool. That stuff sounds amazing. It's so good. I don't know why people would be all going at it at, like, one time. Maybe they all saw the same mysterious list that I did. But I would love to, like, see the fandom for this. Like, I want fan art immediately, and there isn't much. So join me, all of you, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, um, there's a really small fan community for um, the Imperial Rat, Rat um, books. And every now and then I see fan art of a pop-up, and I'm like, oh my god, yes. Yes, that's a good one because those characters have become recognizable enough that I can go like, oh, that's what fans say Barden looks like usually. Yeah. But the Imperial Ratch is in a weird spot where like, I find that book fandoms often, they're either huge or non-existent. Like they're either the Hunger Games or nobody's making fan art of them at all. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I guess that's probably the the movie effect. And I would absolutely watch a movie of this book, and maybe then the calendrical effects would make even less sense. But that would be that would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it's really good. I actually just got a book of short stories by the same author, which is apparently the route by which more people tend to get to know him. Like the novel is is new, but the short stories have been going on for quite some time so that uh i look forward to that and that novel contains this sort of same thing we always talk about with like issues of body sharing and bodily autonomy and it's great oh wait it has that too it does it does so there's a couple different elements of that um the so Jidao's spirit lives in Cheris's body, and Cheris sometimes gets bleed through effects. Like she feels, she looks in the mirror and she sees him, and that goes through the whole book. And I, I really liked that. And that's actually, you know, I don't, I don't want to put words in the author's mouth, but I've read an, an interview that talked a little bit about how. It, it's influenced by um, Yoon Ha Lee as a trans man and how that not like I don't want to say it was intended to like imprint on the book that way because I I don't recall if that's what the interview said I don't want to put words in the author's mouth but that experience is definitely part of the writing of this book and I think it's very interesting to you know interpret it that way if one wanted to. That is interesting. I didn't know that about the author. That's really cool. Yes, I don't know much, I, but I, I read a couple things before I um, 
before I came to talk about it here. <laughs> That's smart. I try. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, highly recommended. Um, just wonderful military science fiction. The other one that I finished on the plane was completely different, um, was a literary novel called Before the Feast, um, and the author, whose name I will also struggle to pronounce, is Sasha Stanishik. Um, it's translated by Anthea Bell, and this is about a, a village in Germany in maybe the 1990s, and it's just sort of a slice of life about this odd sort of foreboding night before the, the, the Anna feast where apparently a woman named Anna is going to be burnt. And it's just about the people in this town and their histories and their sort of, you know, small town troubles. And um, I picked it up because... It had some beautiful writing. It had the point of view of a fox, which is definitely a theme this episode. I think that's three books that we're going to talk about that have foxes in them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, um, it just has this great, very dreamy, like, I like you might fall asleep, so maybe take it in small doses. Um, very dreamy attitude. I thought it was very well translated. It didn't read like it was stilted at all. It read very smoothly. And I, I wouldn't say it will stick with me. It, it might, the plot was not its strength. I, I went on Goodreads and there's plenty of reviews saying, oh, this is the worst. It doesn't have any plot. And I'm like, it's a literary novel. It doesn't really have to. <laughs> so. <laughs> So if that's not what you're looking for, then that might not be the book for you. But you know going into it, it's not so much fantasy as like magical realism and leaning toward the realism side, then, you know, you'd be prepared for that. But um, the, the atmosphere was fantastic and you it could... Like, the way the atmosphere is, it seemed like the book could kind of take place any time after World War II. But there's mentions of things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So it sort of, every once in a while remembers it's in the 90s, but that doesn't really matter. And uh, I kind of like that about it. I'm like 99% sure I picked that book up off of the mystery shelf and looked at it and was like, nah, never mind. Because that name sounds <laughs> really familiar. <laughs> One day I need to visit this mystery shelf. I feel like something will happen, like a vortex will open up or something. <laughs> I saw, okay, like there's that book, City of Mirrors, which I read like 10 pages of and gave up on, which is the final book of the Passage trilogy. And I waited like three months to get that on hold. And then I returned after reading 10 pages. And I saw that on the mystery shelf today. And I was just like, how does this not have a million holds on it still? It's still a relatively recent book. I was genuinely surprised. That's so strange. Yeah. Remind me. I think. Who, who is Passengers by? Uh, Justin Cronin, I think. Okay, that that's not the one I was thinking of then. Never mind. No, it's like a vampire thing. The first book is great, and then I hate the other two. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, it kind of changes genres after the first book, which is really weird. 
But oh, you still there? Yes, sorry. <laughs> okay, no worries. Yeah. Small technical difficulties. You said it changes genres in a bad way. Yeah. It changes genre like after the first book. Um the first book is very much like this supernatural horror mystery kind of thing that keeps swapping perspectives and like kind of it's a really it's it's very it's setting up the horror and it's quite scary because it's that and then the second and third book kind of go into this weird like supernatural horror thing huh yeah that can be jarring i've read several things and it would be spoilers to say what i guess that they don't switch genres but they leave their characters at a very different place from where they started so that you're left wondering not so much what's going to happen to this person that I that I cared about and more who are they going to be in the next book and I like that because it shows authors taking risks but I also that's just not the question I'm used to asking and sometimes I sort of wanted them to stay the person they were that I got attached to in the first place. It sounds like that's sort of similar with, with the genre crossing issues. Sort of. It also does like a massive time skip at the end of the first book. So all the characters I liked from that book just stopped being in the next books. And I think that was part of the problem is I really enjoyed what I got into in the first book. And the second book's just like, none of that really matters anymore. Just keep going. It's fine. And it, it got weird. Like, I think a lot of people really do like the other two books, but they just weren't for me. Yeah, I can see why that would be annoying. Yeah, so not that I've read that recently. <laughs> well, speaking of things that are sort of within, like between genres, what did you read this week? So I have been reading Good Morning Midnight. I haven't quite finished it yet, but I'm really close to the ending. So like, whatever, I'll talk about it anyways, um, which you have read previously and talked about previously on this podcast. Yes. And yes. my conclusion is probably the same as yours, that it was it was all right, but it wasn't really what it advertised itself to be. Yeah, that's 100% where I'm at as well. I was very much expecting a book about two completely isolated people becoming friends over like the radio waves, and then <laughs> that hasn't really, that's not what it's about at all, which is fair. It just, <laughs> and it doesn't even say in the blurb that they talk, like that they're the people talking to each other or anything. It just, I assumed Wait. that. Doesn't it say they're isolated in the blurb? Does it, it does say they're isolated, but it does say that he, there's a mysterious girl with Augustine, which mm -hmm. I did not catch first time I read the blurb. So it did. It did tell me what this book was going to be. I just assumed it would be something else. No, I, I got the same thing from the blurb. And, like, the fact that I don't remember the, the main female character's name. She has other crew members with her on the spaceship. And I was like, what? This is, this is not what I signed up for. I wanted loneliness blasted. <laughs> yeah, like, it was... They're isolated, but there's a bunch of them isolated together. And I was sort of like, this isn't what I wanted. I just wanted two people who were completely alone. And I'm more interested in whatever has caused the rest of Earth to just completely die or whatever. Like, there's this unexplained thing. And it might get explained later. I have no clue. But there's an unexplained thing, and er everybody else on Earth is silent, and there's... Only this guy in the Arctic with this weird girl and these people up in space flying back from Jupiter and nobody else. And I'm just like, I want to know what happened on Earth, though. Like, I don't care about these people. Yeah, did you find Augustine particularly likable? 
not really. Especially because I got up to this one point where he just like explains all the awful things he's done, and I was like, "You're really not making me like you, buddy." Yeah, I agree. It was sort of like, why, why this guy? It explains why he sort of took himself away from people because he sort of knew he was terrible, but he's still not a sympathetic character, particularly. Yeah, he's really not. It's. It's an interesting book, and it's alright, but yeah, I wouldn't say it's amazing, it's not a masterpiece, and it's- I'm gonna probably just forget all about it when I finish reading it, honestly. So, just to sort of play the devil's advocate, because we do both have very similar opinions of this, I think, (laughs) is there anything that you particularly liked about it? Do you think it conveyed any of that atmosphere it was trying to convey? I think it does- sometimes capture like the smallness of these people against everything else just not being there anymore it, i think it's especially good with like um the space station stuff like with the girl sully i think her name is um i think that is probably stronger than augustine possibly because a lot of his chapters are just him just complaining constantly about his entire life and just being very filled with regret and then whereas she is kind of looking more to the future and wondering what's going to happen and trying to work with the people around her which i find more interesting so i think it does that relatively well the one thing i didn't like was that it did this thing where it was like talking about sully and one of her other um crewmates devi and it had this little line it was like sully knew she loved devi from the first time she saw her and i was like oh my god is this gay and then it had this whole little scene about the first time they met and then later on goes on to show that she doesn't actually have romantic feelings for her at all and i was like this was very misleading for me (laughs) I don't remember that line in particular, but I'm I'm not really surprised, judging by the, the rest of it. Yeah, I think it was trying to set up that she loved her like a daughter, but I totally read it otherwise, and then it goes into this whole very straight thing, and I was like, damn it, I was so close. Aw, yeah. Also, this- it, has, it has that reveal that's really obvious right from the start. So I have to sort of shamefully admit that I, I didn't see it coming until, like, there's a couple <laughs> scenes. It, it gets really obvious toward yeah. the end, but I didn't call it, first of all. I was just like, oh, the researchers must have, you know, the, the circumstances with the researchers led to this. That makes sense. So you were more savvy than I was. <laughs> yeah, I think I can get like that with books because I try to, like... When I start writing books, I first try and get into the author's head and try and, like, figure out why things are happening. And sometimes that does mean that I figure out things way too early on. <laughs> other times, I don't, I don't click to things at all, thing, though. Necessarily. Yeah. Like, other times, I miss stuff completely. Usually, like, when I'm watching TV shows, I am the worst at picking up anything, and every surprise gets me. When I'm reading books, I'm a little more, a little more adept at catching stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I am excited to finish it, partly because I want to start reading Nine Fox Gambit. Also just because I really do want to know how this ends. I'm excited for our future Nine Fox Gambit fandom. Me too, me too. (laughs) (laughs) So anything else you want to add about books? No, the only other book I've read is Grass. You started it, so I'll add that I'm also still reading Twilight Company, but it's just perpetual now. So. Oh yeah, I'm still reading that too. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, it hangs out here. Yeah. Um, 
Oh yes, and then grass, of course. But so let's go on to games. Um, I finished the Titanfall 2 campaign, which was Ooh. a lot of fun. And I was actually very thankful that the friend who introduced me to this game did not explain the campaign to me in advance. He said it's really good, it does creative things, but he didn't tell me what any of those things were. And it was better for that, I think. So I'm not going to tell you what the things are because I think you should experience it. <laughs> That's very fair. Wait, does it? do you get emotional at any point, though? Is yes. it like an emotional story? Ye- yes. It's It's emotional in the way that Halo is emotional. It's a sort of... There, there's a sort of element of braggadocio to its to its heartfelt moments even though they are the heartfelt moments does that explain it yeah no that makes a lot of sense yeah it's uh there are very affecting moments but it's also just a really solid shooter campaign and at times it's sort of you, you can, like you were saying with books, you can kind of figure out what the developers were doing. You can almost see the game sort of being written around you. And that was really interesting. It it really goes all out. There's just some points near the end where I was just like, this is insane. I can't believe my character is doing this. I, it just felt like I was in a movie. And it was it was really fun. The um the gameplay itself was cool. It took me a while to get used to all the different Titan loadouts. And like if you've played the multiplayer, you've probably got your preferred loadouts and there's a whole meta there. I ended up using um Expedition, which is like the, the first one you get because I'd gotten used to it. And then Ronin, which gives you a sword because it has a sword. So that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I did I sort of had the like like climactic moment where I defeated the last boss with a sword and I was like yes this is cinematic <laughs> I did this the correct way narratively <laughs> that's so um, cool I love games so when they was, give you the ability to do that sorry <laughs> to hit things with swords yeah just like the ability to do cool stuff like that in general yeah it was very it's modus operandi was definitely give you the ability to do cool stuff in giant robots and the way it was like in a way it was very clearly sort of a very long demo for the multiplayer because titanfall has always the the main pillar of it is the multiplayer where you play as both the pilot the human pilot and the titan and so you got to experience the strengths of both in the campaign and I never felt like I was tired of one or the other. I found playing as the pilot more difficult because it required more agility but <laughs> I enjoyed both of them and I thought they, the, the sequences were timed perfectly so it was really good I don't think like I'm, I wasn't left with any great desire to play the multiplayer but that's just me I think more than the game that's a that would be a difficult thing to do. That's fair. I really want to play Titanfall 2 at some point. Like, ever since seeing that first trailer for the co-op, I've just wanted to play it. Not the co-op, the campaign. I've wanted to play it so bad. That's that's one that it is exactly what it says on the tin. It's a really good robot story. It's all I want in my games. <laughs> So I see on the list that you played Hyper Light Drifter, which is 
a wonderful game that I haven't yet finished. It is a really cool game. I really loved it. I've been wanting to play that one for ages as well, but I finally picked it up. Um, really I played it co-op. Difficult. <laughs> it's so much easier in co-op. Um, I can see why it would be really hard single player because there were times when I was playing it. Like when you play it co-op, one of the players is like the first player is like the main player, and the second person is just kind of there. And then when they die, they can respawn, and it takes a like one chunk of the first player's life. So they can kind of act as like. <laughs> the the bodyguard when you're fighting bosses and they can just keep dying while you run around doing damage kind of thing um and without them it would have been much harder for me because i'm not amazing at games sometimes depending on the game um but i really loved it the art style is gorgeous i love the color palettes they use because it's just so much pink it is and it's pink that somehow suits a post-apocalyptic world yeah it's just it's beautiful it's an amazing amazing art and the music is really good and the gameplay is pretty damn solid because it was made in game maker which i was i did not know until i started playing it and it's just it's such a good game i love it and i did finish it the final boss took us like two hours to beat though because that guy has a lot of life i still don't entirely understand what the story was and what like what the ending meant but i will probably replay it at some point to try and figure it out because i really like it but it's just it's a really solid no dialogue game and i love that kind of stuff that's the next thing i was going to ask you was how did you you know in a non-spoilery fashion how did you interpret the story because it is totally without dialogue and i think it's very open to interpretation yeah and i really like that um like a lot of my favorite games are games that have no dialogue because I just narrative games without dialogue just give me life for some reason. Um, the ending, yeah, like I said, was a bit confusing, but I think it probably makes sense if you think about it more. Um, the game itself, it took me like a little while to understand what was actually happening. Like, cause characters would communicate with me, I guess. And I would just stare at them like, what are you trying to tell me? But then eventually it kind of clicked and everything kind of fell in place, which was cool. Like, it took a little while to get into it, but once I did, I started to understand kind of the language of the world. It does a really good job of teaching you the language slowly, but surely. Yeah, which I really enjoyed. It's a really solid game. I, I Forgive me if I've said this before, but I was sort of immediately hooked on the story when your character starts out looking for a dog. And then <laughs> you get to like the crossroads where you can choose which world to go to and a dog runs toward one of them and i'm like of course i'll go to this one because my my character is this suffering swordsman who's looking for his dog and that's all he wants and like it was it was such a great emotional hook right off and like when you said reviving the second player takes like a a third or a fifth of your health that's all you get. Like, you only ever get, I don't remember if it's three or five, like, bars of health. And they go down quick. Yeah, I think it's five. And they go down real quick. And then, yeah, you can only hold a certain amount of health packs as well. And they're not super common. Um, you can always tell when a boss is coming up, because suddenly there's just a whole bunch everywhere, which is nice. Yep. But at the same time, it never feels like a game that's kind of deliberately trying to be sadistic it just feels like a game that you have to learn and you have to be good at 
in a very sort of satisfying way. Yeah, it never feels like it's being deliberately cruel or like purposely difficult. Like whenever when we were fighting the final boss and took us ages, every time we got a little bit further, we were like, yes, okay, we know what this character does here, like what the boss does here, because they change routines depending on what you're doing. And like you learn and it's so much fun because when you actually beat the boss or you beat the part you're trying to get through, you're just like, yes, I figured it out. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, it's a blast. I do need to finish it one of these days. I've explored three out of four worlds, but I haven't beaten the boss on all of them, and I have to loop my roommate back in again to get her to play as second player so that we can actually finish it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I don't think I would have finished the game if I played it on my own, because it seems really hard. It's tricky, but it's a good one. Yeah. Um, And I also played a couple other games. I played Monaco, which is like this multiplayer stealth heist kind of game where you play as different criminals and you try and steal stuff from places. And it's just, it's a, it's a pixel game, um, like top down kind of thing. And it's, I don't really know what to say about it. It was fun until it got really hard. Um, I was playing like the story mode of it and it, at some point just got so hard that it was really hard just to sneak anywhere. But there's this character you can play called the Hacker, and they just, like, when you, when you like, use any computers or, like, PowerPoints or anything, they can, like, send out these little viruses that just shut all of the power stuff off, and if you just get heaps of them, you can just run through and not worry about anything. I like, I like playing that character. They were cool. But, um completely unrelated from the game kind of but there's there was like surprisingly female characters in it which was kind of cool because they're little pixel people and i didn't realize that they were ladies excellent now so it it sounds like you only kind of enjoyed it is that a reasonable uh, extrapolation from that summary yeah yeah like it was fun enough but it wasn't something i really loved like because in contrast to the other game i played which was party hard which is kind of similar in a way it's a stealth game and it's a pixel thing in a similar like top down um where you basically play as this serial killer who gets mad at his neighbors playing loud music and decides to kill them all because they're partying and he wants to sleep and i was like that's identifiable i'm gonna play this um and (laughs) Like, not similar games completely, but they are similar in a lot of ways. And I played Party Hard first, and I played all of these. I played both of these co-op. And Party Hard was so much fun. Like, basically, you just, you're in this place. You're in a little area, like, either, like, the rooftop or in a club, and you have to kill everyone and not get caught by the police, basically. And it's just ridiculous. It gets weirder and weirder as you go along. And it has a weird story, which... The writing and the voice acting, not amazing, and I'm not super into what the plot twisted, but the story, like, the game itself was just really fun to play. And then I played Monaco, which got really hard and wasn't fun at that point, and I was like, you know what? I like Party Hard a lot more. So that sounds very dark, but also very cathartic. Yeah, like, it. the idea is super dark, but in the game, it's just kind of like, it's not at all that dark, and it is super cathartic just to, like... <laughs> take out these party goers not in a not in a weird way just it's fun yeah in a you know you're, you're clearing a room kind of way yeah and there's heaps we figured out there's like <laughs> we figured out how to like speed run it that if you um if one of the players 
gets the police called on them and has them come in to arrest them and then the other player kills them the police spend the entire time trying to like get to the first player who's dead and so the other person can just do whatever they want the police can't catch them it's amazing it made the hard level so much easier because we basically just cheated through them huh uh, good strategy i suppose yeah so if you ever play that game and get super stuck and you're playing co-op do that so i have a question for you and i didn't really realize i was going to ask it to you on air but you're here so <laughs> i recently purchased a ps4 i haven't done a thing with it yet i want a inexpensive fun game that will show off what the ps4 can do and that i can play before horizon zero dawn comes out at the end of february do you have recommendations and it doesn't necessarily have to be ps4 exclusive just like something i maybe haven't played before have you played abzu no and that was on the top of my list so i was thinking abzu i loved journey but i was a little afraid i would be bored by abzu what do you think it's there's a possibility you might get a bit bored by it it is short enough that it doesn't quite have that problem it's really damn pretty, um, and it has interesting, like, world-building stuff in the environment, which is cool. Okay, well then that that was easy, because that's what I was going to pick anyway, if, if I didn't get great suggestions from anyone else, <laughs> so we're good, that's, that's what I'll do. Yeah. I like to hear what you think about that. I think I played it on my computer, which is somewhat old, and um, whenever there was, like, a huge swarm of fish or something, my computer would lag down to, like, five frames per second, and it was just painful as heck. Oh, no. So yeah, I imagine it's a lot prettier on PS4. A couple reviews, or not not full reviews, but hands-on impressions of Horizon Zero Dawn came out today, and one of them said that it does sort of lag a bit when you're interacting with the really big like watchtower dinosaurs but uh, i'll try not to talk about horizon zero dawn too much i'm sure they'll be talking <laughs> about that later i'm not surprised it lags with those things because they probably take a lot of um memory but not the worst complaint to have no and otherwise the reception has has been pretty positive that's good all right, so that's about all I've got on the subject of games. Anything else? No, no, nothing here. Just that if you're going to play any co-op party game about stealth, play party hard. Cool. So uh, let's talk about Grass. Um, Grass was written in 1989, well, published in 1989, the year of my birth. So it and I both entered the world. And um, it is sort of an ecological science fiction novel about Marjorie Yarrier, who is sent to the planet Grass to find the source of a mysterious plague. And the citizens of Grass, or at least the sort of aristocracy, go on a hunt with creatures that are definitely not horses, hunting things <laughs> that are definitely not foxes. And this whole weird society is built around them and around the fact that sometimes people disappear and the aristocrats just don't talk about that. And it is one of my favorite novels. Um, I've read it at several different points in my life and I always sort of have 
an interesting and new perspective on the way it talks about religion, the way it talks about nature, the way it talks about aliens. Um, Sherry Tepper was very sort of eco-feminist. Um, there was an interesting sort of retrospective in NPR about her on the occasion of her death talking about she she had some pretty pretty serious like sociological ideals not all of which I would agree with but many of which found their way into her books um and described her as a second wave feminist and um a very consciously social novelist so I think more people should read this book um and Saf, you read it for the first time. So tell me sort of your, your overall impressions. Whew. Um, my overall impressions with it was really good. Um, it was really weird. <laughs> the alien stuff was really alien, which I think you had told me about, which is why I partly wanted to read it so much. Um, it was very religious in a lot of ways, which was strange to me because I'm not religious at all. So a lot of it didn't mean much to me. Um, I really liked it. I really liked how it swapped between the characters and kind of gave them all something important to be part of. Um, oh, there was something else I was going to say. Now I can't remember what it was. <laughs> well, there's there's a lot to this. I do, I do love how everything comes together. All the characters have a purpose. Even if you don't necessarily think they do at first, it's very intricately put together book and that's part of one of the things that I love about it I'm glad to hear you say that the aliens are very alien because having read it I've read it three times now I kind of get to thinking well like oh this is this is how this book works you know it's I mean it, I would I don't think anyone would say this is not a weird novel it's a very weird novel <laughs> but it's I sort of start thinking oh yeah it's, it's about aliens but they really are a sort of an incomprehensible sort of sentience. And I think a lot of authors have tried to do that, but purely by explaining them as incomprehensible, they put them in a framework. And this book avoids that partially by some clever misdirection and by the characters not always knowing what's going on except that one scientist that comes in near the end and is like yeah <laughs> this thing you thought was secret was obvious to everyone else which was hilarious oh, um, i loved her <laughs> but it's uh hmm i love that scientist so much she was so cool yes I could, that's a character I'd completely forgotten about and just went like, this is wonderful when I reread it. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the aliens are... The, see, so I, saying too much would spoil it, but they're written in such a way as to keep them both within the realm of something that we can understand and completely alien. And that, too, goes into the discussion of religion, I think, because so the sort of, I guess, antagonist of the book, sort of, is uh, sanctity, which is a an organized religion. It's not devoted to what we would think of as, like, the Catholic God, but it sort of grew out of Catholicism and is dedicated to immortality, to preserving people physically so by by cloning them basically 
And then there, and that's like the main religion of humanity at this time. And then Marjorie and her family are Catholic, like what we would think of as Catholic. And sanctity is portrayed as like very hidebound, very um, sort of oppressive. And their Catholicism is less so in in reference to that. Um, so there, there's, there isn't really any atheist viewpoint in this novel. I, I, well, no, I mean, you can argue that the, the aristocrats are, but it's sort of like one degree of religion against another, as opposed to religion versus atheism. Does that, is that at all going in a direction that you interrogated this from? Yeah, no, I'd agree because it is very much like the one religion, the big one, and then um, Marjorie's own religion. But then there's also like her own struggles with her own religion as well. So it's like, it's religion kind of versus religion versus questioning religion, but not really in an atheist way. Like there's always the belief of God or something of something looking down on them that's always there, which I think is a really big part of the book. Yeah, and the question is not what is that thing that's looking down on them, but or or rather the question is not does that thing exist? It's what is the nature of that thing? Yeah, like and what does it want us to do? Yeah, and some of the least Catholic ideas in this book come from one of the Catholic priests. He's talking about, well, maybe humans aren't individuals to God. Humans are just like viruses would be to people you don't think of them as individual units you just think of them as a group and um that was kind of that was kind of interesting yeah i thought that whole thing was really interesting because i was like i like i said i'm not religious so i don't entirely understand all of it but i like when i read that i was like you know i could i could honestly believe that as a thing that there was like we were created as a kind of a group and then we we find our own individualness within that, and I think that was that was a viewpoint I've never thought about before, which was cool. So I'm Protestant, so for me, focusing on the religious aspects, I was just sort of like, well, there's there's a lot of a lot of strictures here. Like this is all much more Catholic than I'm used to, but the idea of God sort of guiding the evolution of this planet is something that is sort of very, very close to the ideas I was raised with. So seeing that in here, like Marjorie, she never, she doesn't consider atheism, but she does consider guided evolution. And that might be, like, might have been one of the more radical ideas in this, I think. Yeah. And then her... So her feminism is interesting, you know, just going on that thing about radical ideas. She is married. She's, she feels very strongly about the sanctity of her marriage, but it's also a completely stagnant marriage. They were, they were together because they were both like gold medalists in the Olympics in horsemanship. But they never really had a, a particularly loving relationship. And the book is sort of about her 
gaining independence from him, but the marriage is always a very understated part of the book. And it, it absolutely deals with gender roles. Like even the, even the most positively portrayed male characters have this sort of, um, a sort of, I guess I would say they have this sort of patriarchy to them. And even the most, um, generously drawn female characters clearly exist within a patriarchal structure. So the structure itself is never overturned, but Marjorie's place in it is changed. And that journey is what is part of what makes me like her story so much. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Yeah. And like, I didn't. So I guess my question for you is as someone who's very, involved in like 2017 feminism did this look like 1989 feminism to you or not really you know it didn't actually really that much like I guess I kind of knew in my head it was an older book but it sometimes you can just kind of feel that it's an older book and it doesn't jive with how you feel now but she was really even though she was kind of held she stuck with her marriage and with the patriarchal things and um all of that she still gained so much independence for herself and even though it never really outright was like modern feminism like it never did any of that stuff it still felt similar in spirit to what people want nowadays because it was very much like you have you have your own morals and you have things that you will stick with no matter what and that for her that was like her marriage and her religion um and then within that, she found ways to still be independent and do what she wanted and gain her own power. And I thought that was really interesting and really well done. Yeah, I think that's part of what makes what I like the most about it. And I want to ask all these questions about, like, what did you think about the end? But I also don't want to outright <laughs> spoil it if I haven't done that already. Like, it's it's so well plotted. It's definitely worth reading even if you feel like we've gone over the themes um but yeah i uh i i like marjorie a lot i just there were things in it that i found there's there's a part where she doesn't get a joke and it takes her like half the book to get the joke oh yeah <laughs> and, yeah, and it was like, I, I can identify with that. <laughs> because she was so focused on her mission that she just didn't understand that someone might not be being completely serious about something. Um, and at the same time as it discusses all of these, these social issues, it also features like lots of really cool horseback riding and basically lightsabers they call them laser laser knives yes. <laughs> but they're like they're basically lightsabers and um that's something i, I tend to love about sherry tepper and, and cj cherry does it too where it's very cerebral book and the end is just pure cinematic sci-fi and i i love that yeah i very much did that i i didn't know what to expect with the ending because i didn't really expect it to go like as as I don't really know, like sci-fi kind of, not really adventure, but you know, action kind of as it did. Yeah, and I was just like reading the whole thing, just like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. I didn't know how to, I, what I was expecting for the ending at all. Honestly, like the book, 
so much like every chapter has more stuff that's like about the planet and about the world and so you can't really ever get your grip on what's happening until quite near the end which was cool because then I kept I kept wanting to read it like I I read this more than I should have because I was should have been doing work and instead I was reading this book because it sucked me in so much um and I was genuinely surprised by how quickly it did that because it does have kind of like an older style prose and it's very information packed, but it still just grabbed me right from the start. This book is actually what all of my writing wants to be when it grows up. I I adore the world building. And at the end, it's it's all explained quite nicely. There's none of this like, oh, that was good atmosphere, but now I'm going to hand wave it. It's rigorously explained. Yeah, she had like everything. Everything had a reason and... It got explained, you understood it at the end, which was nice because so many sci-fi books don't do that. They just kind of like have these cool things and at the end it's like, meh, who knows what it actually was. And I kind of expected that from this, but then in the end I didn't get that. And I was like, oh, you know what? This is nice. It's a nice surprise. Yep. And I think not all authors can do that. Not everybody can plot something that tightly. Yeah, it is. A, I definitely can't yet. It is definitely a very good skill, and I am very impressed by this. I am kind of, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the His Dark Materials trilogy. Did you read that? Yes. It. Yes. Yeah, especially this time around, it definitely did. Yeah, it kind of sparked that bit, partly with, like, the aliens, because there's, like, the aliens in the later books um, in that trilogy, but also the very religious thing, like, not similar religions at all, and not really a similar theme with the religion, but it did have, like, the kind of characters questioning their faith and what their purpose was within religion, which I think his Dark Materials, like, if I'd read Grass when I was younger, I would have really enjoyed it right after reading his Dark Materials, because it would have kind of set me up for the right mind frame of it. Um, I really wish I'd gr- read Grass when I was younger, because I would have loved it back then as well. And I find it, like, now that I've read it, I'm like, why isn't it on every, like, sci-fi classics book? It reads so much like a sci-fi classic. I know, and I wish I didn't have the quick answer, which is it was written by a lady, but I'm not sure why else. Yeah. I mean, if this, this had been written by a dude, it probably would be on all of the list. And I mean, it's it's very similar to Dune in a lot of ways in terms of the world building. Um, but I think this one sort of falls on a spectrum of of writing about Christianity and aliens in um, in line with like C.S. Lewis's space trilogy, which deals directly with did Jesus save aliens? And then there's grass, which takes a sort of guided evolution guide to think, or, or uh, guided evolution direction to things. And then there's um, his dark materials, which sort of refutes the idea of a god entirely. But they're all they're like all on a spectrum of dealing with science fiction ideas through a Christian perspective. Yeah, I always find that stuff super weird and interesting because not religious. So like whenever religion comes up in sci-fi, it's a little bit alien to me because I don't understand it. So when it's put in context with science fiction, it kind of helps me understand it a little bit more. Like 
Not really, like, I didn't learn that much about Catholicism from this book. Not, definitely not any more than I learned from history class because it doesn't actually go into much of it. But I kind of, it helps me understand people who are religious and how they feel about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the things that can be, that can be brought from this. Yeah, I think it's one of those, it's, it's another example of, like, diverse writing, like, reading things from diverse people, like, different people have different ideas on things. <laughs> and, like, I guess as a Christian person, I kind of want to emphasize that in the other direction, too, that I've been a bit euphemistic about it and said religious, but it's absolutely a, it is a discussion about Christianity, specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, um, Zelazny does, like, some things about other religions in his books, which I always found kind of interesting. Like, religion and sci-fi is weird because I don't understand it all the time, but also when it does happen, it's always really cool. I don't know whether Sherry Tepper deals with that in other in her other books. I think for me, it was one of the things that drew me to this one because exactly like you said about Marjorie, it was a person who she keeps her religion, but she finds a very personal like structure for it. And I found that very useful in my own life. Yeah, I think that is... A- really important thing for her character i think her character is just amazing honestly she's so good yeah i really i really like i thought that maybe my the more i learned about current feminism i would look back at this and be like you know she she wasn't written all that well but she really was i really like her a lot yeah like if i'd read a character like that in a modern book i would have just been like cool she's cool like she kind of carries that the ideals even if it's not really the same goals yes and if you want to really do the uh the 401 class on catholicism in space you should read the sparrow but that's like that's the next level (laughs) (laughs) that's also written by her right no um the sparrow is written by um Mary Doria Russell. All right, I'm gonna request that because I, I know you've mentioned I've that mentioned before. This... Okay. You have. I remember you I... mentioning it previously, but I don't. It may have been at the same time you mentioned grass, but I don't remember. That's another one that should be on more lists, and I never really thought of because I I only read The Sparrow last year, so I never really thought of it in grass in the same category before. But I think they are. So. Speaking of Marjorie, um, I found myself sort of accidentally fan casting people this time around because <laughs> I don't think I had had a very strong visual idea of what they looked like the first time I read it for, for no particular reason. I don't know, Saf, you don't usually visualize characters, right? No, I don't. And this didn't really have many descriptions of people except that I know that Sylvan, not Sylvan, the son, whose name I forgot already, um, is apparently Slender. That's all I remember. Yeah, well, so, like, I- I'd forgotten that hair color was significant with the the Yarriers. Marjorie is-, is blonde and, like, very blonde. And her husband is has dark hair. And then their, their son and daughter are switched, so the-, the daughter has dark hair and the son has blonde hair but i i kept thinking of jillian anderson for marjorie just because she has that sort of aloofness to her and 
I had to cast Sylvan as Adam Driver because mostly oh he's described God, yes. as being sort of fae looking, right? <laughs> like kind of oh my God, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Those are both perfect. And- I love them. <laughs> and then um, I couldn't, I, I, because Rigo is described as being from from Spain and having dark hair and a mustache, and I immediately went Mandy Patankin, and then couldn't get that out of my head. So he's <laughs> Mandy Patankin now. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> so that was my my fan cast. Oh my god, I love the Adam Driver so much because I can totally like. <laughs> Even though I don't, like, see people in my head, like, I think I did kind of assume he looked a little bit like him. <laughs> and then just, like, yeah, it's it's funny. Just Adam Driver sitting in a jungle pining. That's what this, that's what this novel contains, among other things. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so um, the other characters, Sylvan, who I mentioned, is the son of one of the noble families, um... Rillaby Chime is one of the the brothers of the Arbi ruins, which like we didn't even mention the Arbi ruins, and they're pretty yeah. important. There's they like a are... whole post post apocalyptic. There's a whole like dead civilization, which is really cool. Yeah, and apparently there are other. I mean, I've I read one of them, but I think it was out of order. Um, there are several other books that take place in the same universe that also have Arbi ruins, but they're on completely oh, wow. different planets with completely different characters. I don't think unless i really missed something i don't think they have much to do with this one but that carries through um so rillaby chime is the character who is the sort of your entry point into the arby story and he has such a terrifically sad backstory I was oh my god this poor child i he is the reason i cried in this like i i was full-on gross it was at the end like just when his arc resolves, I was just gross sobbing. His character arc is just like, it's not even that tragic. It's just his backstory is super tragic and it hurts me. Yeah, his, his backstory is so well drawn. The the parrot and it's, it's oh. just chilling. Yeah. yeah. Every time I thought that like it was done with him, like more stuff would happen. And I was just like, no, oh my God, I love him. I know. And there's there's moments where you sort of suspect, you know, maybe he's he's not that good of a guy, but he turns out okay. Yeah, he kind of like proves you wrong every time you start to think maybe he's a creep or something. He's just like, "Nah, I'm good." Yeah, which like he definitely sort of walks the creep line at times. Yeah. But then a little bit. he never crosses it. Yeah. And I think that probably comes from his upbringing, but his character, I found, I didn't expect his character to be the one, like, I resonated with the most, but he ended up being that character for me. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like, I think Marjorie, I think, is the coolest character that I enjoyed, but Rillaby is the one that just got my heartstrings. I loved Marjorie so much, but, like, the other members of her family were not, I don't have too much to say about them, um, unfortunately... We meet Stella, who's the very sort of headstrong daughter. We meet her kind of briefly. And there's several, you know, there's a lot of characters who kind of go in and out of the story, but I I didn't have too much to add about them. Was there anybody else that sort of caught your attention? Um, not really. Yeah, like, they kind of come in and out and there's not much to say about them. Like, the rest of her family, I really didn't like, I think it was Tony was her son, like, 
he was yeah. set up as like a really sympathetic character for her to like be close with, but he was just kind of boring. Like all of the male characters were just kind of boring a lot of the time. Um, and Stella, I don't know how I feel about Stella. I don't know how I feel about her arc either. Like she was kind of just there and things happened and I was like, okay. Yeah. Well, so, so she was one of several characters who like, I guess there's no real way to say it without spoilers. She, they were sort of introduced <laughs> and then like spirited away and they, they come back, but they're not the same person when they come back. So I did feel that sh- her story was, was given short shrift is not the right phrase because it was so tightly plotted that it didn't feel that way. But mm. both of the kids weren't, didn't have much of an arc to them. Yeah, they just kind of helped with stuff. They were kind of more like plot devices than children, but I guess the book wasn't really about them anyway, so it didn't actually matter. And like, I can't emphasize enough that the background characters were well drawn. There wasn't anything like lacking about them. They were just, yeah, they were very carefully placed as, okay, I need this character here to do this or introduce this concept. And that's what they were for, and they didn't really step out of those boundaries. Oh, I really liked um, Pearson Pollitt. Was that his name? Yeah. The yeah. He was like a tablet drawer guy, and he wasn't a super main character, but whenever he was in there, like he was super agreeable, and I liked what he was doing. He was. He was the sort of salt-of-the-earth craftsman character. Yeah. He was he, really cool. He was the voice of the the commoners who were called commoners by the people who called themselves aristocrats, but they were actually like just the social structure was not as real as the aristocrats thought it was. And at the end, he he's <laughs> like, "Yeah, we we don't think of ourselves as commoners. We just kind of let them call us that and nod and agree and go on with our lives and have a functioning economy." The social stuff between the aristocrats and the commoners was really interesting as well. Like, um, it wasn't a huge part of the book, but it was enough. There was enough there that I was just like, "Okay, I can see what's happening here. It's cool." Yeah, especially at the end, there's like several reveals where you go, oh, this system isn't as simple as it seemed to be. And like, of course it's not. Because all the aristocrats did was hang out in big mansions and like go cavort with aliens. Like, of course they're not actually running this planet. Yeah. Yeah, it, it made a lot of sense. Like, none of it was unbelievable with the characters like the commoners just kind of let them do what they did and the aristocrats pretended they knew what they were doing and it worked out like it didn't work out but in the end it works out yes yeah so i uh yeah i can't compliment that book high enough i think it is it is excellent there's a lot about um just personal relationships and personal autonomy that meant a lot to me. And I think there's a little bit of everything, you know, there's a little bit of like philosophy and ecology and relationship stuff and economic stuff. And there's just a bit of everything. It does a lot and it doesn't do any of it in a way that feels 
boring or like distracting it just all works so well i can't like i don't think it's one of my favorite books ever because it doesn't i don't know it's not like a young adult book or whatever so you know but it is definitely like one of the best books i've read cool well i'm glad you enjoyed it so much because it's definitely like part of the inside of my brain is just the text of this book so (laughs) now you know (laughs) yeah it definitely has inspired me to write some weirder sci-fi like i was looking at my novel outline i was like you know what i can make this weirder i could do it (laughs) and like i feel like we haven't really emphasized the weirdness much but i'm i'm i've sort of failed to stay out of spoiler territory but i've tried (laughs) but it it's weird (laughs) The aliens, like, because they introduce them, like, it's not a spoiler to say they introduce them as horses and foxes, which is why we were saying they were definitely not horses or foxes. Um, and because it sets you up with the idea, when it starts describing what they look like, you're just like, I don't understand what's happening anymore. It's really hard to get your head around what these ca- creatures actually look like, because you were set up with this earth idea this human idea and then suddenly it's like no they don't actually look like that and you're just like oh god what's happening yeah the reveal of that in and i think it's relatively early on the the second or third chapter where you've sort of been wondering like what do these things look like and marjorie goes expecting horses because she was sent like because she knows horses ostensibly and she's like that's not a horse at all and (laughs) I sort of love that I um I don't have much trouble picturing them especially because there's the the sort of illustration on the cover is vague but gives you an idea did you have any trouble imagining them wait are there multiple covers of this book say again because I don't think are there multiple covers for this book because I don't think my cover oh there are I think um my cover didn't have any things on it as far as I could tell. Um, I I struggled, like, I, I've i said that I can't really see things in my head, so I did oh, definitely true. struggle. I'm sorry, um, to, I may have asked the wrong question. No, like, it's, oh, that's what they look like. Um, <laughs> so I did kind of struggle <laughs> to put them together in my head. <laughs> oh, they look oh, freaky. Maybe there are different covers. Did you yeah, my cover the is a... Yeah, I got the one with the spaceship, so it's just got a weird bug on it. And I, I spent time looking at it, trying to figure out if it did have things on it so I could figure out what they look like, but it didn't. So I was like, okay, I've just got to do this myself. And I just, I failed. Like, I got this weird blob thing in my head, and I was like, you know, I don't think this is right, so I'm just going to stop trying to picture anything. <laughs> I definitely based it off of the um, the picture on the, the cover that I had, which has this sort of... Uh, Mount Rampant thing. I I just googled it, right? And the Polish cover, I think it's Polish. It's incredible. There are some amazing alternate covers for this book. Oh my <laughs> but god, the, yeah, the there spaceship are. Spaceship one is relatively tame. Yeah, it's kind of like it's look, it's weird retro sci-fi looking and yes. that's kind of what got me like I kind of went into expecting that. And it doesn't like the architecture and the layout of stuff doesn't feel like sci-fi particularly. The planet does, but they never describe like the ships or the cities or anything. So you don't get an idea for that, um, which I thought was kind of cool because it kind of gave it an ageless sci-fi in a way. Yeah, it. Uh, 
I had sort of forgotten a lot about the end. It gets much more conventional sci-fi near the end. But yeah, I guess it, it doesn't do a lot of descriptions. And then you get details like they have communication devices that are like but not like cell phones. There's that retro sci-fi technology, which I love so much, where they have spaceships but not the internet. And they have a... <laughs> I think they have to send away to a planetary archive to look up information. It like takes a day or so to get it. Yeah. It's just the cool stuff. I love stuff like that. That doesn't feel super dated and it's different, but it's just like you you know it's old and you're hot, but at the same time you're like this could be legit. Yes. <laughs> a little Very bit like legit. Star Wars, I guess. Yes. Like it's got that aged feel, but it still feels kind of modern at the same time. Yes. Yeah. All right. I think that's all of the points that I wanted to make about that. Um, I cannot emphasize enough how much I enjoyed it and how weird it was. Yeah, I agree with that. I definitely second that. And I cannot emphasize how much I recommend reading this if you're a sci-fi fan, and especially if you want to write sci-fi, because like it has a lot of cool ideas in it. Yeah, and even at a just a prose level... She writes some, she she breaks some rules in that way of like, you have to know the rules to break them. She switches point of views in places that I wouldn't necessarily have expected. She writes some like really long run-on sentences and some fragment sentences, but it all works really well. It never feels amateur at all. Yeah, it feels like a master wrote this book. Yes. <laughs> well, I think that's a good that's a good note to end on. Yeah. Um so I don't think we have any particular plan for next week. We'll see what we end up talking about next week cuz Horizon isn't going to be out yet by the second week of February. So we'll see. We'll see. Um All right. Well, so thank you for chatting with me. Um, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. You can also find me on the Toshi Station main site because I do some writing there. Um, you can also find me on my own site, notsafework.com. Cool. And you have another teacups and one-ups article on Toshi Station, which is relevant to the, the listener base of Western Reaches as well. <laughs> yes, I did just put up a new one about another virtual reality game. 